0: Fourteen lessons ago, we began a study of the book of Philippians. I titled the series of lessons, Down by the Riverside, because it reflects the beginning of a great congregation of God's people. The Apostle Paul, when he was at Troas, and he heard the Macedonian call, come over and help us, little did he realize that when he would arrive that he would Not be meeting a group of men, but be meeting a group of women by the riverside at a place of prayer. Upon the conversion of Lydia and her household, the jailer and his household thus began one of the greatest congregations that is revealed to us in the pages of Scripture. These great people at Philippi became very close to Paul. And when Paul wrote his letter from prison to them that we have, there are so many wonderful principles that he set forth. As we're now ready to conclude the study of the book of Philippians, I want to focus your attention for just a few moments on the idea of true contentment. And as we have begun each of these 14 lessons, I want to begin with a question or questions. Are you content with who you are? I think it's important that each of us do some self-evaluation at special times in our lives. As we arrive at our services and we're here to worship God, before we get ready to worship, we ought to focus our mind on, am I ready to worship? Is my mind ready to worship? As we listen to God's word being read, we ought to ask ourselves the question, is this something that I need to apply to my life right now? If you were to answer the question, are you content with who you are, what would you say? No, I'm not content. Or yes, I am. We're going to talk about that a little more as our lesson will proceed. Are you content with what you have? The blessings that God has provided you with, are those sufficient for your needs? Are you content with where you are headed? Your life is pointed in a direction. And according to Jesus, it is either in the direction of heaven or it is in the direction of hell. Are you content with the direction in which you are headed? The word content may have a different meaning than some of us think. When reading the background of this and the world's perception of it, many people think the word content means I don't care. I don't care whether I have more than I have right now. I don't care whether I will be better or worse. Such could not be further from the truth. The word content does not mean I don't care. The word content means sufficiency, and we will see that. This lesson is going to explore the last several verses of Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. And we're going to look at three things. The source of our sufficiency in verses 10 through 13. The sharing of struggles in verses 14 through 20. And then saints in special places in verses 21 through 23. Now let's begin by looking at verses 10 through 13. Brother Ethan read those for us just a few moments ago. I want to read them again. I may place special emphasis on some words as we read through this. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard of need. For I have learned whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. And I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things. Through Christ, who strengthens me. Now, as you look at that, I think you would say that the key word of that passage is the word content. It comes from a compound word. The first part of the word is autos, from which we get our English word auto. Everything, automatic transmission or automatic washing machine, a number of things. That word auto means self. It drives itself or it operates itself. The last part of this word, archeo, which means content. And it's translated content in a number of places where it's found. And you may be thinking, well, why do the translators translate this word content if just part of the word means content? Because literally it means self-contented. That's an important thought there. I am contented in who I am and what I am facing. It's found in this passage only as an adjective. There's twice it's found in the Bible as a noun, 2 Corinthians 9, 8 and 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6. I want to point you to those passages because I think they may help us understand what this word really means. Paul says, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Now one of the things you will notice when you read that passage is the word all or always. And then he uses the word sufficiency. Same word found over here in Philippians chapter 4. Paul says, I have learned in everything to be content. What does that mean? It means sufficient. I have found sufficiency in this because God provides this sufficiency. That's the reason why in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. If we can get to a point where we see our sufficiency in being godly, spiritually based, that's when we really find self-contentment. Mount's Dictionary, which is an excellent one, says it means a frame of mind viewing one's lot as sufficient. Now I go back to those beginning questions. Are you content with who you are? Have I reached a sufficiency at where I am in my life? Now let me explain that just a second. If you are 12 years old, 16 years old, 20 years old, you may say, I am where I am supposed to be at my age in life. I know what I ought to know. I'm not where I want to be at some point in life. But right now, I am where I ought to be. That's the emphasis on the word sufficiency. Are you content with what you have? You think about the sufficiency. Do I have enough to eat? Do I have enough clothes to wear? Do I have a nice place in which to live? Do I have sufficiency, or am I content with that? Am I content with where I am headed? Do I have sufficient means to be able to make it where I am going? It's a frame of mind that looks at my lot as being sufficient. Now I want you to put that back together with what Paul is going to say here to them in the verses that precede this. He wants to begin by pointing out that the Philippians always cared for Paul and wanted to meet his needs, but they lacked an opportunity. Notice carefully, God often meets our needs by providing brethren who care. We pray in our prayers, God, will you help me? How is God going to help you? Most often, he is going to answer that prayer by providing somebody to do that job. In Paul's case, the Philippians always cared about Paul, but they didn't have an opportunity to do something good for him. We should look for opportunities to fulfill God's care for people. Here's someone who's in need. What do I do? Do I show the love of God to them, and by doing it, does God get the credit for it? Listen to Galatians 6 and verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, and especially to those who are the household of faith. You see, the Philippians lacked an opportunity, but we're told as we are presented with opportunities, let's do that. Paul describes this event in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 9. I think it's marvelous when you look at the way he puts it to the Corinthians. And when I was present with you and in need, I was not a burden. I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you. And so I will keep myself. When Paul was at Corinth and a need arose, who provided that need? The brethren from Macedonia. That's where Philippi is. You think about, you can be the person who supplies the need that someone else has in doing God's work. And so were the Philippians. Paul in this passage also does something very important. He told us he learned the difference. And notice the word learned there. The difference between needs and wants. In verse 11, the first part of that verse, not that I speak in regard to need. He didn't need anything right then. There have been other times when he did. Perhaps there will be other times afterwards when he might, but right now he is not in need. He said that he had experienced both extremes. Look again at verse 12. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. He said I've learned the extremes. Most people will tell you that they know there's different times in their life when they were, as we say, poorer than Job's turkey. And there are times in our lives when it seems that things are going extremely well for us. Paul would say, I've learned both extremes. But our problem today, though, is we live in a time of great abundance. And we've gotten to the point where we redefine our needs by what we really want. that's a sad thing because we are not fully understanding the importance of this. Listen to 1 Timothy 6 and verse 8. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. You have the necessities of life. You have food to eat. You have clothes to wear. You have a place to stay. That's sufficient. In Hebrews 13 and verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. One of our biggest problems is we do not trust God enough. We don't believe that God will do exactly what he said he will do. God says, I will take care of you. The real source of our sufficiency, contentment, comes through Christ. There's a passage found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9 that in my judgment really draws out this point I'm trying to make. Paul says, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. Don't you understand? You want to find real contentment? You find contentment in what I will provide but Lord, I'm in weakness. I don't have much power. That's when you really understand contentment. When everything else offers no sufficiency, that's when you realize, I rely upon the Lord and upon the Lord alone. Paul would say in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Point number two, sharing in the struggles. Let's look at verses 14 through 20. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to the riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul focuses on their generosity. The brethren at Philippi were generous folks. They not only gave To Paul once, they gave to Paul on several occasions. These were not rich folks. One of the things that I do when I look at a congregation, I try to figure out who's in that congregation. What's the composure of it? Lydia would have been a seller of purple and would have been a wealthy woman. But there's no indication at all in the scripture that the church at Philippi was wealthy. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 describes their condition as deep poverty. And yet they were generous. The first thing that I noticed, they not only were generous in money, but they were generous in support and encouragement. Paul said, you shared with me in my distress. The word distress is from the same word elsewhere translated into the Bible as tribulation difficulty, troublesome times. Paul said, you shared with me. If you look at it, its tense, it's in the air sense, which he's talking about a one-time situation. Was it when Paul was arrested? Was it when Paul went through a difficult time, perhaps at Corinth or Ephesus or somewhere else? I don't know, but I know there was a time in which they shared with Paul in his distress. They did what we are called upon to do. Listen to Galatians 6 and verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You and I, when it comes to troublesome times, to distress, each of us have an obligation to try to help us bear our burdens with one another. Sometimes we'll fall under a load. But if someone else will help us, we can be able to bear it. I imagine Paul was discouraged from time to time. But can you imagine people like Epaphroditus coming and saying, Paul, the church at Philippi loves you. You know God loves you. You know that we're with you in your distress. And Paul took great courage from that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 3, and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. Now listen carefully to the latter part of verse 4, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. There's times that each of us have gone through something troublesome a problem in our life. And we see others going through that. What do you do? You reach out and you help. You share in their sufferings. They provided not only for his trouble but for his teaching. In verse 15 he says, Now you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, now listen carefully, no church Shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. I want you to notice carefully how many churches does Paul say helped him. One. No church but you. But I want you to notice carefully, Paul doesn't say no church helped me, but no church shared with me but giving and receiving. The word giving and receiving are accounting terms, credits and Debits. And when you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 8, Paul says, I robbed other churches taking wages from them to minister to you. Now how many churches does he mention here? Plural. What did he take from them? Wages. With this, here's something that you can learn. You can learn that there were other churches involved, but that money only went to one place. It went to Philippi. Sometimes we call it a sponsoring church where an eldership has an oversight of a work and other churches contribute to carry out that work. Here is an example of this. Other churches contributed wages to Paul, but the only congregation that received And gave those, was the church at Philippi. Now you can see why he had such a close relationship with them. It was a fellowship in the gospel. In chapter 1, verse 5, he thanked them for their fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And then he says in verse 7, tying the two things together, just as it is right for me to think of this, of you all, because I have you in my heart, Inasmuch as both in the chains and defense of the gospel and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of this grace. Notice they participated with Paul in his sufferings, the chains. They also participated in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul knew their sacrifice was not just a blessing to him but also a sacrifice to God. And he describes it as a sweet-smelling aroma, something that was pleasing to God. I don't want to skip over the last three verses, verses 21 through 23, and so I entitled it Saints in Special Places. Paul's going to end in verses 21 through 23 by saying, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus, The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now greetings was from all of the saints. A saint is not a special Christian. That's every Christian. The word saint literally means holy ones. But I want you to notice, Paul offered a special greeting, not just from all the saints, but from those of Caesar's household. Because Paul had been incarcerated, he had an opportunity to teach the gospel to those who were in Caesar's court. The royal court. The mean old man Nero. Paul was able to get into that group of people. And there were saints among that number. I don't know if you realize the significance of that or not. Paul carried to Rome. You think about it being something that is awful, something that is bad. And what happens? He's able to convert some of Caesar's household. To greet means to send good wishes. 3 John 2 says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Summing it up, what a tremendous blessing Paul enjoyed with this association with the Christians at Philippi. These were great people. And whenever you and I study about great people in the Bible, you know what we ought to do? We ought to strive to be just like them, to follow their pattern. He appreciated them for everything they did for him. We ought to be an appreciative people. We ought to be thankful. There's somebody somewhere along the line for each of us who took a little time to say, I care about your soul. Taught us the truth. may have been your parents. May have been your grandparents. May have been your husband, your wife. May have been a boyfriend or girlfriend. But whoever it was, you got to be thankful. There are people who care enough about you to want you to be able to succeed and go to heaven. But most important was his appreciation for God and the contentment he found in Him. I want to go back to those questions. Are you content with who you are? If you're not a Christian, you ought not be content. You ought to be uncomfortable. You ought to be concerned. If you're not a Christian this morning, when we sing the invitation song, this song is for you to encourage you. If you'll come forward, Because you believe in Christ, repenting of your sins, confess your faith before this audience and be baptized, I can assure you one thing, you will leave here contented because you know that everything that needed to have been done will have been done. Are you one of these Christians who've let your life just sort of slide by and you've really not... Done what is right, and you know it. When you do your self appraisal, are you content with the direction which you're headed? You know that if you stay on the same path you're on, you're going to lose your soul. You're the only person who can do anything about that, the only person who can make a change. When we sing this invitation song, you need to respond. The reason why you need to respond is not because of us, but because of you and the Lord. Now, we as your brothers and sisters in Christ will pray with you. But dear brother or dear sister, if your life or your spiritual life is in peril, you need to make corrections this morning. Will you come as we stand and sing?